ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Uh, the calendar. Start of the new year and a leap year, no less, uh, only 19 days in. Turns out the very thing that is meant to lend order to our lives has quite a pretty messy history. Uh, what is the history of the calendar or calendars, I, I guess to be precise, and the reason we get an extra day every four years for the leap year. Joining us on Overnights this morning is historian and author Professor Sasha Stern. The professor is an expert in the history of the calendar and has authored several books on the subject, including Calendars in Antiquity. He's joining us now from London. Let us know why our days are, in fact, numbered. <laughs> professor Stern, good morning to you. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good morning, and thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. How are you? Good. Before we get to the leap year, uh, the study of, of calendars, I mean, what drew you to the study of calendars as a, as a subject? Ha-ha, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I started as, a, as an ancient historian, and I guess I am still an ancient historian. Mm. And one of the big problems we all have as ancient historians is chronology. Okay, because uh, we don't always have a clear understanding of um, the timelines of different kingdoms and different uh, regions. So uh, I became interested uh, in trying to figure out how the chronology of the late biblical books, yes. books of Ezra and Nehemiah, how they fit into uh, other chronologies that we know of in the ancient world. And I sort of got drawn in, uh, exactly the word you used, drawn into an mm. interest in time. Are there specific cultures or periods of history that you focus upon in your research? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't hear your question very well there. Can you repeat? Yes, sorry. Are there specific cultures or periods in history that you focus on? Yes. So um, I am uh, primarily a historian of uh, Jewish history. So I'm, I'm, my, my prime interest is the Jewish calendar. Yep. But uh, I have branched out from there, and I'm basically interested in all calendars from uh, Europe to the Near East and around the Mediterranean. What were the earliest known, as you say, it's, it's sketchy, earliest known calendar systems and the cultures that developed them? Right. Well, uh, look, what I would say is that all peoples, all human societies have always used calendars. I, I don't think there is uh, anywhere in the world or at any time in history, any society that has not structured their time hmm. in one way or another. You know, so there have been calendars everywhere. The, the, the question you're asking me is, what are the earliest known ones? Mm. And it depends what you mean by known. You know, there are some that we understand well, some we don't understand so well. Um, but as far back as history goes, we can identify calendars. Right. But now, I mean, uh, in this uh, society of ours and yours, it's all around uh, the birth and life and death of, of Jesus. Now, how did that, uh, I don't think that, don't think that was adopted for a few years. How did that come about? So, um, yeah, so uh, the Jewish calendar, there's a bit of a problem here. The problem we have, it's not untypical, by the way, but the problem we have is that uh, if you go to the, to the Hebrew Bible, right, the Old Testament, you will not find there any explanation of how the calendar works. Right. So you will have lists of festivals, 
and you know, Passover, Pentecost, uh, you'll be given an explanation about when, uh, on what date they, they occur. But no one, uh, nowhere in the Bible, do you have any explanation of how the months are reckoned? You know, how when does the year start? Mm. Uh, what defines the beginning of a month? How long is a month? You don't have uh, any explanation. And so um, we just have to, uh, you know, work with assumptions at that point. And the earliest evidence we have of uh, Jewish calendars come from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm. Uh, and then uh, slightly later, later sources, but it's very, it's very bitchy. It's very sporadic. Right. So, are there? No, I'll try and speak up a little bit uh, for you. Are there notable differences between uh, solar and lunar calendars in antiquity? Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good question. That. Yeah. So uh, first of all, what is a solar calendar? What is a lunar calendar? Mm. So a solar calendar follows the sun, and the basic unit when it comes to the sun is the year, because mm. the sun has an annual cycle which comes together with seasons so you have uh, you know winter spring yeah summer autumn uh, makes a full seasonal cycle which is uh, closely related to the solar cycle and that's a year so you can have a calendar which is solar and which basically follows the sun's year and then you can subdivide it into smaller units like months or whatever but they're, they're going to be like arbitrary divisions the other way of running a calendar is making it lunar. There, the basic unit is a month hmm. because the cycle of the moon is basically monthly. And so every month will begin um, normally at the new moon. Some calendars have other systems, maybe with full moon, but hmm. okay. Most, most lunar calendars start at the new moon. Uh, and then you go month by month and you can have a string of 12 months. But the problem is that uh, 12 lunar months are not equal to one solar year. Right. They are 10 days short. Okay, 10 days short. Yes. That is probably the biggest difference between the two calendars. What about the agricultural cycles? I mean, as we know, and it's different depending on which hemisphere you're in. I mean, here we're in the middle of summer, so summer, autumn, winter, spring. The influence of, of those, are the agricultural cycles, if you like, on ancient calendars? Right. So um, an agricultural calendar is going to be closely related to the seasons because agriculture goes with the seasons. And yeah. Therefore, a solar calendar is perhaps more naturally suited for agricultural purposes. But the interesting thing is that when you go to uh, the ancient world, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking from a very Eurocentric perspective, yes? Sure, yeah. Uh, I yep. can't tell you what went on in, the, in your part of the world. But um, uh, when you look at uh, the Near East and the Mediterranean, you know, uh, what we call the ancient world in the West, um, you find that up to the year 500 BCE, uh, pretty much all the calendars in use were lunar. Mm. And uh, not only there, but if you move into Asia, you go to uh, the South Asian uh, Peninsula continent, uh, India, uh, or you go further east to China, 
uh, there also the calendars were lunar, they still are lunar. Right. And uh, if you go to Africa, you also find that traditional calendars there are lunar. So this is really interesting because what you find is that the majority of world calendars, the vast majority of world calendars were all lunar, even though you would have thought that for agricultural reasons, a solar calendar might be more practical. Mm. But there are big advantages in a lunar calendar. One advantage, uh, what I find is that the, the really big advantage of a lunar calendar is that anyone can look at the moon at any time, on any night, and work out from the shape of the moon what day of the month it is approximately right you know you can tell by looking at the moon if you're halfway through because the moon is full etc whereas in a solar calendar unless you're an astronomer you will never be able to tell by looking at the sun which day of the year you're in okay so to that end how did the ancient astronomers as that you're speaking of contribute to refining the calendar accuracy the ancient astronomers Right. Okay. So this is a really interesting one because um, this is something I did quite a bit of work on and I ended up discovering something which wasn't obvious to me at first. So my starting assumption always was that astronomers must have played a leading role, obviously, in creating either lunar or solar calendars. Mm. But uh, as I pursued my research, I found that this was generally not the case. There is uh, one very famous exception to this, and this is ancient Mesopotamia. So if you go to ancient Mesopotamia, the Assyrian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdoms, um, and later the Persian kingdoms also to a certain extent. So uh, what they had was um, teams of astronomers um, who were attached to the great temples of Mesopotamia. So they were basically temple officials, but they were also great scholars and great experts in astronomy. And they observed the skies every night and kept records of what they saw and made predictions of the positions of uh, the planets and the stars uh, from night to night. Mm. Uh, they became really very big experts in astronomy. They were the leading astronomers of antiquity. And we know from a number of documents that they would determine when the month began. They would actually look out for the new moon uh, when it was first visible. And they would send a report to the king. You know, we have seen the moon. Tonight should be the first day of the month. And, uh, and on that basis, the king would ratify the decision. Sometimes there were borderline cases. Sometimes the moon was not visible, but that was due to clouds. And the astronomers predicted that the moon should be visible. And so they presented the choice to the king. Do you want to go with what should have been seen? Or what do, you, do you want to go with what was actually seen? So right. that was a choice, you know, that the king yes. could make. But it was a choice that was informed by the astronomers. So there you see the astronomers uh, actively involved in the management of the calendar. Yeah. But in other places, you don't find this at all. And the other thing which I, which I uh, discovered is that um, the way calendars developed 
through the centuries, you know, let's say from 500 BCE to the Middle Ages. Yes. The way the calendars developed was usually not as a result of astronomical discovery or astronomical progress, scientific progress. That is not what drove the development of calendars. Instead, what drove the development of calendars were political factors. Yeah. Because calendars were in control, were under the control of rulers. You know, a calendar is a very useful uh, instrument of social control. You can determine how long a month will be. This can have an influence on the economy, on taxation, uh, sometimes on the military. It can have an influence on religious, on the performance of religious celebrations, which you might prefer to postpone or to bring forward, depending on what you need. Uh, if you are a magistrate elected for one year, then it might be your interest to extend the year a little bit. So control of the calendar is a political function, and it was primarily a political function in antiquity. And you see many calendars developing purely as a result of political decisions, not scientific ones. Yeah. So um, skipping forward, I mean, there's the Gregorian calendar, which was, what, 1582, uh, and that's still uh, 12 months, 28 to 31 days. Yet that's not a king. That's a pope coming up with his own calendar, which is uh, well, pretty close to the Julian, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. You want me to say something about the Julian calendar or the Gregorian calendar? Yeah, no, the Gregorian calendar. Why did, uh, I mean, I've never discovered why that pope decided there should be a calendar of his own, which was pretty similar, I think almost exactly the same, is it not, than the, yeah. Jul the Julian so, calendar? So here we're fast-forwarding to the 16th century. Yeah. And um, what's happening here is that for very many centuries, I mean, I'm, I'm talking now about maybe three or four centuries, Christian scholars had become aware that the calendar was inaccurate. Hmm. And one of the biggest issues was the date of Easter. The uh -huh. date of Easter yeah. is meant yeah. to uh, occur a few days after the full moon. And what they discovered was uh, that uh, Easter was getting later and later. It was occurring quite late in the lunar month, um, you know, approaching more like the third quarter. And, uh, and that was a problem, you know, because uh, there was obviously something wrong here. But um, there was a lot of resistance to reforming the calendar. And in fact, if you look at the Orthodox Church, you will find that they didn't reform the calendar. They retained it the way it was, which means that the date of Easter in the uh, Orthodox Church can often be in, uh, a month later uh, than it is in the Catholic or Protestant. Yes. Yeah, right. uh, you know, so... Um, Conservatism. Why conservatism? Because, you know, we, we do things the way we've always done them. And this is how the church fathers ordained that the date of Easter should be calculated. So we're not going to disagree with them. So you see that the decision of whether to uh, reform the calendar and make it more accurate or not is not really driven by science. It's driven by religious yes, considerations. Yes, right. Understand that? So yeah. it's true that Pope Gregory did employ astronomers 
to figure out how to correct the calendar. And the Gregorian calendar is a revised version, which means that it's uh, much more uh, astronomically accurate, true. But uh, the point I was making before is that ultimately the decisions are not made by scientists. The decisions are made by church leaders, by politicians. Yes, that's how that's it goes. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of politicians, let's let's go back to to Caesar and the Julian calendar. What was his motivation for introducing uh, his calendar, the Julian calendar, Caesar? Right. So, um, right. So uh, we have to look at what was before, what was after. So before Julius Caesar came on the scene the Roman Republic had the most outlandish calendar you can think of. It was neither solar, neither lunar, mm. and uh, it, it just made very little sense. Um, so just very briefly, uh, you, you, can, you can see that it might have come originally from a lunar calendar because the year length was 355 days. Which is the year length of, which is equivalent to 12 lunar months. But it wasn't divided into lunar months. It didn't follow the moon at all. Uh, it had months of 28 days, 29 days, and 31 days. Right. Why no months of 30 days? Don't ask me. It's like, <laughs> it looks really quite random. And um, because the year was only 355 days, so, um, and, and, and they wanted to keep up at least with the seasons, if not with the sun. So they uh, made what was called intercalations. So they, they added, they inserted an additional month called uh, an, uh, an intercalary month, uh, usually every other year, which consisted of 27 days. And they added this month after the 24th of February, cutting short the month of February to just 24 days. Uh, I, I'm saying all this, it's, yes. it's really difficult to take in, but uh, just to give you an impression of the, the chaotic structure well, yes. uh, yeah. of the system. And um, decisions about when to intercalate a month were taken by priests. And they, you know, you know they, it was, a, again, it was a political decision, you know, should we do it, should we not do it? So Julius Caesar came along and decided to basically scrap the whole uh, calendar altogether and start all over again. And he introduced pretty much what we have now. So um, it's yes, yeah. months. We have a calendar of 365 days. We have a leap year every four years. And we have months of 30 days and 31 days, except February, which is 28. Yes. So that's what Julius Caesar did. Yes, that's right. And that's the confusing thing. So to, cutting to the chase, we have a leap year this year, as you say, every four years. So it may be a, a lay question, but uh, Caesar and, and Pope Gregory, why wouldn't we just have uh, 12 months of 30 days each? Why the 28th of February uh, becomes a leap year this year and every four years? Well, uh, well, we need to add uh, one day every four years because the average solar year is approximately uh -huh. 365 days and a quarter. Okay. So yeah. it adds up to a day every four years. Uh, why specifically this year has to be leap year? There is no reason. Uh, this is just by convention, mm. you know, that uh, a year which is dividable by four uh, turns out to be a leap year. Uh, but it could easily have been different. Uh, so anyway, that, 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 that's how it is. Mm. 
Um, but are you asking why why does it come at the end of February? Is that your question? Yes, and uh, and then we've got. Uh, I understand now uh, how the sun plays a part of that. But yeah, why February? Why February? So um, there is uh, an old tradition which historians are not sure about that the Roman year originally began on the first of March. Right, yes, and right, that yeah. would explain why September is called September. September comes from the Latin word septem, which means seven. Mm. Yeah, October means eight. Yes. Now, uh, if se- September is the eighth month, October is the eighth month, that would make March the first month of the year. So there is a theory, but it isn't really verified historically, but there is a theory that March was the new year. If March was a new year, then it would actually make quite a lot of sense uh, that any intercalation, any adjustment to the calendar should happen at the end of February. And that's how it was in the Republican calendar, where they added an extra month at the end of February. And similarly, uh, in our calendar today, where we add one day at the end of February. Right. And I guess, uh, finally, would there be any reason, because as we've discovered talking to you, it's been changed for a variety of reasons, the calendars over the years. Would there be any reason to to change it now, uh, considering we've grown up with the one we have now for, well, centuries? Would there be any reason for anyone uh, to make any changes to it? Um, I think uh, the Gregorian calendar that we have now is pretty good. It's really good. Um, uh, As I said before, it was based on cutting-edge science in the 16th century, but it's a science which hasn't changed very much, in spite Mm. of all our progress. Um, the, The values we have for the length of the year are pretty much the same as they were then, and uh, they were actually inherited from a few centuries before that. So, um, yeah, uh, it's pretty accurate. And um, as long as we're happy with having uh, funny month lengths, you know, (laughs) with like 28 days in February, and then, uh, you know, in the summer, July, August, are both 31 days consecutively, you know, it doesn't go by alternation. But sometimes the sequence, you know, the sequence is a bit... A bit arbitrary, a bit a bit weird like that. But mm. as long as we're happy with that arrangement, uh, the calendar itself is very accurate. It uh, follows the sun very well. It does not follow the moon, but of course that's a choice what one has to make. You know, yeah. either you go solar or go lunar. Yeah. Uh, but I think the the calendar doesn't need uh, any uh, reformation or any modification. The date of Easter also uh, for Christians uh, is now uh, in the in the in the Gregorian calendar is uh, very stable. Yes. Mm. Well, it's been fascinating to talk to you, and I thank you very much for spending so much time with us, Professor. Thanks to you for listening to me and for your interest in uh, this fascinating topic. Thank you indeed. That's Professor Sasha Stern, Calendars in Antiquity is his book, Empire, States and Societies. Have you born on uh, February 28? Um, Yeah, it's your birthday (laughs) in a little while. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.